Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're bringing you a short and sweet bonus episode where we'll report in on that famous orange marmalade cake and introduce a sweet treat a certain English sleuth made famous. We'll also award our coveted blue ribbon to the April treat that, just like our favorite book, we just couldn't put down. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. I'm sure you remember a few episodes ago in episode 118 when we did our grocery store escapade. Yes. You were here in London Mm -hmm. and you were mystified by something you found at Whole Foods and that was the siliconized pan liners and there was 40 of them in the package. They were reusable. They were labeled as reusable but there were 40 in a package and so I thought well To me, if I buy like a silicone pan, I buy one and I keep reusing it. Well, you had suggested that I head over to Whole Foods and try to get to the bottom of this mystery. And (laughs) I'm here to tell you I have solved it. I've cracked this case. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Perhaps inspired by the English sleuth we're going to discuss. Indeed. Inspired by Maisie Dobbs. What we have here, my friend, is a difference between American and British English. Oh. So siliconized means they are coated indeed, but not made of silicone, instead coated. And the closest comparison I can give you is like a waxed paper. So indeed, these were made to be disposable pan liners. But of course, when you saw that word, siliconized, you're thinking, oh, heck yes, I'm going to use this again. This is a reusable, heavy-duty plastic. Yeah. But yes, it just means it's coated like a bit like waxed paper made to be disposable. So there you have it. And I tell you, I could have actually used one of those when I made my seed cake back in episode 120. That would have been kind of nice to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. I know. So that is one mystery solved. But I think we have a few others this week. So we'll get into it a little bit later. <laughs> One quick thing I'd like to mention. Last week, I talked about a new cookbook that had just come out that I was interested in called Indianish. Yeah. This week, there's another new cookbook. It actually came out in mid-March, and it's by Odette Williams. Wow. And when I tell you the title, you'll see why I'm attracted to it. It's called Simple Cake, All You Need to Keep Your Friends and Family in Cake. Gosh, Odette, where have you been all my life? And the reason this is so appealing to me, you'll hear in a few minutes what a challenge this orange marmalade cake was for me. So the the three-layer cakes, even a two-layer cake, is a challenge for me. Mm. This particular cookbook says that she has 10 base recipes and then 15 different toppings. So it goes back to my whole idea of sort of having a template, and then you can mix and match however you want. Yep. And in the short little video that I saw, a lot of those 10 base recipes were either bundt cakes or one-layer cakes. Mm. Listeners, if any of you have tried any recipes from this simple cake book by Odette Williams, I would love to hear what you think about it. And you know, Andrea, I think that we often 
think about the fall being a really big release time for new cookbooks, but this is a spring release. You've had two that you're very excited about. Maybe they're gearing up for Mother's Day or or certainly maybe for some springtime or celebratory baking that goes on this time of year too. It's nice to see. I know. I was excited about that. I usually do see most of the push for new cookbooks in the fall, but it's kind of yep. fun to see there's a little mini spring season as well. I hadn't thought about Mother's Day. That is a very good probable connection. Well, I think you've just alluded You've given a little preview of your review here for our orange marmalade cake, the triple layer orange marmalade cake, which was this week's Bake Along. It came from Jan Karen's Mitford series and indeed Jan's cookbook and kitchen reader reprinted on Epicurious.com. This was a very involved cake. Andrea and I have not tackled one this extensive since last spring when we did the royal wedding cake. So Andrea, tell us a little bit more about how this cake went for you. Yeah, this was some work. So, um, (laughs) you know, listeners, Stefan and I try not to communicate about our recipes in advance because we want to save that conversation when we're live and recording our show together. Yes. But I have to be honest and admit, I sent her probably no fewer than, I don't know, five or six texts with questions on this because I'm not a layer cake baker. And so I just really wondered how some of this all played out. Yeah. I took Stefan's suggestion. I also had printed out the recipe and sort of split up the preparation steps. So I knew that I was having a group of people come over on a Sunday. And so I thought to myself, well, I'll make the cakes on Friday and then I'll make the filling and the topping on Saturday because the people coming on Sunday, they were going to be at my house at 10 and they were going to leave at 2. And I wanted to serve the cake you know, right before they left it to, but it needed to chill for two hours. So I was thinking, well, I don't want to <laughs> so much planning, you know, get up and frost it right before 10. No. That sort of started all of my texting to you. So sorry you had to uh, help me out with all of that pre-planning. No, no. And I give you, I mean, when Andrea and I do do that, either when I'm texting her or she is me, we try to be as brief as possible, I would say. Yes, yes. Just quick things. So I did make my cake on the Friday. You can imagine the first sentence already sent me into a tizzy because it is sift flour, baking powder, and salt twice in a large bowl. (laughs) I circled twice. I put three excited marks after it. I underlined it. And I did follow the instruction because, you know, I thought it felt really important. Yes, start as you mean to go on. That's right. Exactly. Yep. And I beat my butter for around four minutes. I added my sugar and got it light and fluffy. And I added my eggs and my egg yolks. I should add that there are a lot of things in this at room temperature. So actually, when I decided to make my cake, the first thing I did was pull out a carton of eggs and I pulled out that cup of buttermilk because it was also supposed to be at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So then I added my eggs into my cake mixture. Then I added my oil. And then I had already combined my orange zest, my vanilla, and my buttermilk. And this is where I made a little mistake. And part of it is because I was using a printed document. And so, you know, it's one of those turn turn the pages. So at the bottom of my page, it said, in a third bowl, combine orange zest, vanilla, and buttermilk using a rubber spatula, and then I would have to turn the page to know what to do next. In my head, I just assumed it was going to say, dump it into the mixture. So that's what I did. Ah. But actually, you turn the page and it says, fold in half of the dry ingredients. (laughs) 
scrape down the sides of the bowl. <laughs> Add half of the buttermilk. Repeat. Uh, of course, I think for people who make cakes all the time, they know this. They know you alternate between the wet and the dry. So this was just a rookie mistake on my part. I have to say, I don't think it made a dang bit of difference. Giving you a little preview here, this cake turned out just fine. I want to say that I think this cake batter was the most delicious thing I have ever tasted in my life. And I want to know, is it possible to just serve cake batter in a bowl and eat it? Raw? Yes. What a delightful idea. Mm, Why not? I don't know. This has kind of nine eggs in it. That gave me a little pause. Based on the nine (laughs) eggs, I'm sure recommended answer would be no. But I would be remiss if I did not tell you I really, really enjoyed cleaning that pan. I went ahead and I poured my batter in pans. I weighed them out so that they were all the same amount. And then I cooked them. It says 30 to 35 minutes. And mine were done right at about 32. Yep. I let them cool in pans on the racks for 20 minutes. Now, this is where I had to text you, Stefan, because, you know, this was Friday. I wasn't going to serve it until Sunday. And the next step is to do the orange syrup, which is just orange juice and sugar, kind of like a poke cake. While your cakes are still in the pans, you poke holes and then you pour that syrup in them. And I was worried about doing that ahead of time. Right. And funnily enough, you and I were both working on much the same schedule. I was a little bit serving mine a little bit before you, but I was also making that cake on Friday. Of course, my Friday is before your Friday. So I was doing this a few hours before you were. Yeah. And ultimately what I did, I'm not sure what you did. I went ahead and soaked those cakes in the syrup and just left them as is overnight and then frosted them and did the filling the next day. Is that what you ended up doing? I did. I, you know, I read the recipe a couple of times and I just thought the fact that they only want you to cool the pans for 20 minutes as opposed to cooling completely before putting the syrup in. Yeah. I felt like there was something about that syrup needing the heat of the cake to maybe fully dissolve the sugar. Yeah. Because previous desserts where we've made a syrup, a lot of times you heat the orange juice and the sugar or the, you know, whatever you're, the lemon juice and the sugar, whatever it is you're making. Yeah. But in this one, you just stirred the sugar straight into the orange juice. So I felt it needed the heat of that cake. Yeah. I thought it was going to take up that syrup best when it was hot. And if I waited till it was cold, it wasn't going to do that exactly. Yeah. I did go ahead and pop my cakes out of the pans. I thought about leaving them in the pans overnight and just covering them with plastic wrap but I was afraid once the syrup was in the pans that they might get really sticky and stick to the pan so I did pop them out and wrap them in saran wrap they came out quite easily I used my baker's joy and I did use the parchment paper there was no sticking they came out just quite quite nicely yep they were so delicate though I almost cracked the very first one because as I was like lifting it up and moving it it, they're just very very fragile so I think the cake flour and the double sifting and all of those eggs they're just very very light cake layers interesting that's not a word I would use oh but (laughs) what word would you use (laughs) I also so I soaked them in the syrup but then I let them sit in the pans overnight Mm -hmm. for almost exactly the same reason I was worried about the mess and And so I didn't want to pull them out and have that syrup, if it hadn't absorbed fully, be kind of like draining out over my counter or something like that. 
Yeah. I did leave them in the pans overnight. They still came out with no problem. Oh, good. Maybe had to run a knife around it, but I might do that anyway. So that wasn't an issue. I thought at that point they were fairly dense. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've looked at some reviews that people wrote online, and a couple of people said they thought this cake was dry. And I had mm. just the complete opposite. I mean, mine was no, very, I... very moist and very light. No, mine wasn't dry at all. Okay. No, okay. no, no. Uh-uh. It was really nicely moist. Well, maybe it was that, uh, you know, double sifting. <laughs> I just really went to town on You're that. You're a convert. <laughs> Yeah, and I had my cake flour. I used that Bob's Red Mill cake flour, so maybe there's a little bit something about that particular type of cake flour that makes things really delicate as well. I had much the same experience with the cake and with the the syrup. One thing, you know, we had talked before about looking ahead, reading this thoroughly. There's lots of steps. There's lots of ingredients. You know, oftentimes a cake will have a buttermilk component, or it will yeah. have egg whites and egg yolk component or it will have oil or it will have butter this cake has it all <laughs> right <laughs> had it, it all it has yep. it I agree. And the other complication here for me was that I was doing a lot of conversions. Oh, yeah. If you are interested in making this cake and you want the metric conversions, if you want to use your scale on this, send me an email, hosts at preheatedpodcast.com. I can share what my measurements came out as. Of course, ingredients always vary a little, but you'll have maybe a better idea of, of where I started from there. So in addition to the many, many steps. I was also doing a lot of converting and scribbling down my my measurements. I also didn't have that cake flour, as I mentioned last episode. So I was making my own, which you do with an all-purpose flour, replacing some of that all-purpose flour with corn flour or cornstarch. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, though. This was a beautiful cake. It was lovely to look at. Once you put that orange syrup on as well, it really takes on this beautiful light orange color. And I got very excited at that point about how it was going to look with the orange marmalade and then as I was going to cut this. And of course, it's going to have this billowing whipped cream, sour cream frosting. Yeah, and I should add one tiny little thing that that does make this a little bit easier I keep referring to the filling but the filling in fact is just the orange marmalade which yeah I mean I guess you could make your own but I certainly just bought a jar yeah yep you just need to heat it up until it's just melted and let it cool for five minutes so it's still warm when you are brushing it and placing it on top of your cakes as you're filling And this country is the country to buy marmalade. There were no less than about 50 options for me at the grocery store. The English, of course, love their marmalade. I ended up getting a very classic cut. You can get thick cut. You can get other flavors you can get with the rind, without the rind. I was just thinking I am so overwhelmed by this choice. I'm just going for the classic. Yeah, I picked mine based on the shape of the jar. I bought the one that was the prettiest. (laughs) I love that. I think I had three choices, and I think it's called like Bon Marie. It has the red and white checkerboard. Oh, I know that one. That's yeah, a good one. I love that. Yes. So, yeah. And then making that frosting, I got a little bit nervous. I did pull my cakes out. I did put the filling between them. And then I had texted you, should I put my frosting on now if I'm going to serve tomorrow? Because when I hear frosting, I always think of something a little bit sturdier, like a mm. buttercream frosting. This is more like a Cool Whip. 
honestly. Mm-hmm. It, it's heavy cream and a little bit of mm-hmm. sugar and sour cream. I got really nervous about doing this and let it letting it sit overnight. And that's, again, where I reached out to you. And I think you agreed with me, right, Stefan, that we decided not to let it sit overnight with the frosting on it? Yeah, yeah. As you've mentioned before, Andrea, this does need two hours to chill and kind of firm up, but this is a billowing whipped cream creation. It is going to weep, I think, if it just sits there yeah. for too long. And that was what exactly what we agreed on, that do it so you have two hours to chill it for sure, but probably not much more than that. Yeah. This was inspired by the Mitford series books, but it also reminded me in the most pleasant way possible of a book I loved as a girl called Polly French Takes Charge. Oh, I've never heard of that one. I don't think it's well known. It was a book that was found at a garage (laughs) sale and I just loved it. It really was a favorite of mine. During the book, Polly has a party at her grandma's and she's trying to convince her group of friends to put on a theater production with her at her high school. And to help convince them, Gran comes out with this cake and they describe it as billowing mounds of whipped cream frosting. And when I started making this, I thought, it's Gran's cake! It's Gran's cake! It was so beautiful and it was actually quite nice for me as someone who doesn't frost a lot of cakes that it's a very forgiving frosting because it is just so yeah oh absolutely soft and pliable you know you're not worried about really streaks or getting it perfect you just sort of mound it on there and yep then you put your last bit of marmalade on the top so that's nice and visible despite my best efforts here I decided to serve the cake on Saturday because I just couldn't figure out the timing and I didn't want to wait and do that frosting on Sunday morning so Saturday night we had a friend coming over and my daughter had invited another kid for a sleepover so I thought well at least I've got like five people instead of my normal three and and that'll be enough I went ahead and put the cake all together and I stood back I looked at it and it was so slanted I can't even tell you no, you're kidding me. Your no. picture mm-hmm. was perfect. Well, that's the magic of photography <laughs> and the skew feature, my friend. can tell you, I put it in the outside fridge, in the garage fridge. A little while later, my daughter had gone out there to get some water or something, and she came back and she said, Mom, that cake in the fridge, is that for tonight? And I said, yeah, we're going to try that tonight. And she said, oh, it's so pretty. And then there was the pause. Um, When you were putting it in the fridge did you bump it or oh no 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 yeah I was like no it's slanted so then that night I brought it out at dinner and my husband I'm kind of walking toward him with it and my husband goes oh my gosh honey that's so beautiful I just love that and then he kind of cocked his head you know like a dog would do (laughs) and he said oh no is it supposed to be like that Were the layers like sliding off one another? They weren't sliding off, but I think what happened is when I put my batter in my cake pans, I did weigh them all and made sure they were all the same weight. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I did a good job of smoothing the layers. I did wrap them firmly on the Mm -hmm. countertop. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. do it a lot. And I'm thinking I should have done it more to make it more even. Or I should have maybe taken like an offset spatula and tried to kind of even. Mm -hmm. I just think one of the particular layers that I baked was much higher on one side than the other. And I, I did not attempt to even my layers. I've learned from experience that that just never goes well for me you mean once it's baked with a knife right no yeah 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 yeah. I end up I end up either making it more crooked or cutting off a big corner or cracking it I'm just better off going with what I ended up with 
Well, how did it taste despite looking a little bit like the Leaning Tower of Pisa? I got very mixed reviews, which was interesting. Okay, okay. I loved it. Our friend who was over visiting loved it. My daughter's friend loved it. I'm so glad we had guests because my child Mm. ate about half of it, which is always a sign. You know, she's not going to come out and say to me, I don't like this. But anytime she doesn't finish a dessert, that's Mm -hmm, a pretty clear mm -hmm. indicator. Yeah. My husband started on it, and then all of a sudden he went, what's that? What? I know. I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I just bit into something really bitter. Oh, piece of the peel. And I said, oh, well, that's the orange marmalade. And he was like, ooh, I didn't like that. So that just kind of like literally put a bad taste in his mouth toward the cake. Mm. I don't think for my family this is going to be one that I end up making again. But I do think it is a lovely special occasion cake. And I think for someone who loves orange marmalade, this would be a great cake to make. I think that's my review as well, although I didn't have any extreme reactions like that. I took it to a friend's house, and they are a family of four as well. And it was kind of funny because they live in the outskirts of London, and we had to either take the tube or a train. And I was remembering your story about the woman in the uh, TSA line, and I thought to myself, I'm taking an Uber. And so... (laughs) We took the over because it is a huge cake. It's a huge cake. That frosting yeah. is so delicate. And yes. I'm thinking back to our seed cake that we made in episode 120. Nigel Slater talks about how that's the perfect cake to bring on a picnic because it's so sturdy and you can put it in a cake tin. I mean, orange marmalade couldn't be more opposite. So bravo for you for even trying. I'm impressed. Yeah, we had no problems. And when I got into the Uber, the driver said, my God, that's a cake. And (laughs) I felt like that was the reaction everywhere I went with it. It is a show-stopping, it is an absolute beauty. Yeah. I already know what I'm doing with this cake. I'm not a huge marmalade fan. Yeah. And that is a predominant flavor. As your husband discovered, Mm -hmm. anytime you do bite into one of those very bitter flavors. Now, some people, that's the appeal. They really, really like that. Mm -hmm. I think you could modify this cake easily. I loved the actual cake. Mm-hmm. As I just said, you know, it has so much going on. It has so many cakey ingredients with the buttermilk and the oil and the butter and the egg. I think I'm going to modify this into a lemon version with a raspberry or rhubarb jam filling. And that's definitely going to be sweeter. Ooh. But I didn't think the cake itself was so sweet mm-hmm. that you would be off put by that extra sweetness in another kind of jam. No. I think that would also be the red with the white would be really, really pretty. And I'm really looking forward to making that. I have some birthdays coming up in my family. So I will let you guys know if I do modify that. As it was, marmalade's just not a flavor that I'm going to get too excited about. Well, you'll not be surprised to know that I also immediately started thinking about how I would change this. (laughs) If I made it again, I thought of making a lemon cake because I thought, you know, I know how to make my lemon syrup from our beloved lemon drizzle cake. Yeah. And I thought it might be really nice to use a lemon curd for the topping and the filling. Yes, also would be beautiful. If I make this again, I think I will modify because, yeah, uh, big surprise, orange marmalade cake tastes like orange marmalade. <laughs> make sure you like it if you're going to invest this amount of time and money and energy. If someone requested this or if you knew someone loved orange marmalade, oh my gosh, how fun would it be to bring them this cake? Or if you knew someone loved that Jan Karen Mitford series book. I mean, that would just be so much fun for them for sure it's a jaw-dropping beautiful cake for sure 
Well, Andrea, this is the last week of Literary Bakes Month, and so we're going to talk about a recipe but not review it to wrap up our month. And this comes from one of my very favorite series. It is the Maisie Dobbs series by Jacqueline Winspear. Amazingly, when I went to look up how many books were in this series, there are 14, and Jacqueline just released the 15th uh, late last month at the end of March. There's 15 books in this series. They follow the adventures of a young woman home from World War I in England. She is a returning nurse, mm. and it is a beautifully done look at England between the wars. So between World War I and World War II, and Maisie has her own private investigation firm. If you are a fan of historical fiction, of books set in England, of interwar novels, any of that, I really encourage you to pick them up. I would encourage you to read them in order. So you could start with the first one and you'll have many more to keep you very happy. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't picked these up before because it ticks all of my boxes. I think you'll like them. Especially with summer coming up and vacation coming up, I love the idea of having just a whole stable of books in my back pocket that I can plow through. So I know exactly. Yeah, really looking forward to this one. And of course, Maisie has a traditional tea time treat that's also a very classic English treat. Maisie loves nothing more than to take her tea with something called an Eccles cake. <laughs> now, Andrea, not only is this a tasty toponym, because it is named after its place of origin, which is the English town of Eccles in Lancashire, and that is in northwest England. It is very historic. It was probably developed around 1793. But here we go again with the British versus American English, something they call cake. I think if an American baker looked at this, they would say it was a bun or even a pastry. It has a buttery pastry crust, and then it has a filling that I love because it's very reminiscent of mincemeat. So it's got those kind of deep and dusky flavors of muscovado sugar and currants and citrus peel and then your spice with your cinnamon ground cloves and a little bit of sprinkling of uh, sugar on top for some crunch and for some sparkle so these are not hard these are very classic and if you are looking for one other great book and or great treat this month please do check out the Eccles Cakes and Maisie Dobbs. Yeah I had never heard of Eccles Cake and when I heard of it most recently it was brought to mind when Clara Patak, who owns the Violet Bakery in London and was selected to make Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding cake. Yeah. She was interviewed on Milk Street Radio by Christopher Kimball. Yes. He was asking her how she had to evolve her baking because she was from California. She had baked at Chef Alice Waters, Chez Panisse. And he was saying, you know, how did you evolve this sort of California cuisine to English cuisine? And she started with like a stall hmm, yeah, at an outdoor market. And she said she was doing these, you know, just these beautiful like fruit tarts and all of these sort of fresh baked things that in California would have flown out of there and she said people kept saying do you have any Eccles cake <laughs> and she was like what is this Eccles cake <laughs> I had looked it up after I had heard that episode and I'm glad you're saying now the difference with yes. the language because yeah when I heard Eccles cake again I thought I was gonna see a you know traditional three-layer cake that's what I think of and it almost looks more like a um, a turnover to me yep 
Yep, or maybe a stuffed cookie, something like that as well. But they definitely harken back to a pastry because they do have kind of a buttery crust and then the filling. But it's one of those pantry things, Andrea. There's really nothing fresh here. This is a pantry staple you can make. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of kind of looks a little bit like a Pop-Tart, honestly. Gosh, Pop-Tarts are just dominating the discussion this season. <laughs> Well, remember, we will have a link to these recipes in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 122. They'll also be up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook group, Preheated. Okay, Andrea, it is our bonus episode for Literary Bakes Month, and you know what that means. It is time to crown a preheated blue ribbon for the desserts we most enjoyed this month. So, little refresher, we started off our first week in episode 119 with the sausage rolls from the Little Library Cafe that were inspired by Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And then we rolled right into episode 120 with a seed cake recipe from Nigel Slater, and those were inspired by multiple references. I think we mentioned Jane Eyre and The Hobbit and David Copperfield as some of the places where we saw some seed cake references. The next was in episode 121, and that was the hot cross buns from Megan at Culinary Hill, inspired by Beatrix Potter's classic The Tales of Peter Rabbit. And finally, today you heard us round it off with episode 122. Today's episode, that's the orange marmalade cake from Jan Karen's Mitford series. Okay, Andrea, so who's getting your blue ribbon this month? Probably no surprise to longtime listeners who know how much I love savory items. The sausage rolls from the Little Library Cafe. Yeah. My husband loved these so much. I think I mentioned to you I got multiple texts from him on these. Yeah. They were good as leftovers. I love them for breakfast. I love them for lunch. I did use the pre-made pastry sheets, so they were fairly easy and quick. But, of course, you could make your own puff pastry if you wanted to take it an extra step. And uh, I'm also a big Harry Potter fan. So that, that kind of had the edge for me there because I could really kind of picture, you know, the scenes of, mm. you know, Hogwarts and all of the food. And I could just imagine them eating these sausage rolls. So, yeah, that gets my blue ribbon. How about you, Stefan? Well, I have to say I'm a little surprised by what I'm going to award my blue ribbon to this month. When we set out all of the recipes that we're going to do ahead of time and, you know, you start thinking about what you might like and what is going to be really interesting or really challenging. And lo and behold, I am going with the easiest, the humblest. That's right. It's episode 120's Seed Cake from Nigel Slater. And that was so different. I mean, neither of us had ever had anything like that before, right? Absolutely not. And it may be one of those things that it was the right recipe for the right time. So we had a very busy month putting this show together for a variety of reasons. And we had some really complicated bakes this this month, some more involved. And so this was such a nice little respite. It turned out this really delightful loaf. One thing we mentioned when we were talking about that cake is that it was also called a keep cake because it kept so well. And I'm here to tell you, It stayed very good for almost a week. Mm -hmm. Very moist, still very flavorful, not stale. I really enjoyed it for that. I was just kind of slicing off little bites here and there as it went. I thought it was really buttery, very simple. You could toast it. You could dress it up if you wanted to. Great to just kind of grab a hunk. And as Nigel says, it's the perfect picnic cake. 
it's one I'm going to make because it was so easy and I just was really charmed by it. Yeah, I had a good experience with my leftovers on that one too. I toasted it in my toaster. I put a little butter on it and man, was it still really good one week later. So I can second your opinion on that particular cake being good several days after you make it. Well, what a fun month we had. And listeners, we always love to know what you've been baking up, what you've been reading. That is such a big part of preheaters' lives, we know. And thanks again to our listeners. We had several different people who suggested that we do a literary bakes type month and bake some recipes from our favorite books. So we love our listener suggested months. We encourage you to continue sending us suggestions, and we're happy to try on the things that you want to hear. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next month we're rolling up our sleeves and digging into our pantries for a full month of popular, usually store-bought treats you can make yourself, including my personal pixie food, Pop-Tarts. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.